are we real or not? I guess that's that's the first question we need to ask ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mic drop. So depends on what you believe. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, so when it comes to experience, reality, we we get we get philosophy, we we go deep in philosophy straight away, and people love to debate backwards and forwards. Um, but we're going to take a step back. We're going to take a little step back, and we're going to go okay, fictional versus non-fictional rather than am i experiencing reality i would argue yes but nah. Fant fantasy fantasy writing fantasy in any way just non-fiction writing well, I, I say fantasy but it's also sci-fi and everything else um those worlds are made up magic is made up i know shock horror it doesn't exist how could you do that to me you, you can't wave a wand or or I don't even know what other magic-y things are. Click your fingers. Like you can't you can't do those things and, and things just magically happen. Um, how do you know? I'm not even going to entertain that with an answer. Good <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so fantasy is something that I've been I've been in dream world, but I'm I'm spaced out. I'm not paying attention, whatever, all the way all the way through school. Like I'm I'm always spaced out, thinking elsewhere, right? I'm not I'm not thinking werewolves and and vampires, but I'm certainly not thinking about what's going on right now. And I've always loved watching sci-fi films, movies, series, and stuff because TV was my get-out. It was okay. I'm going to read academic scientific work, then for my fun break consumption, I'll watch TV. Then when I went to uni, I was like, oh, actually, you can actually learn learn quite a lot on YouTube and online. So I started watching fantasy stuff on my computer. So the, I guess the the barrier, the line was blurred a bit, and then. Believe it or not, I started watching doc documentaries on TV. So suddenly my my fictional <laughs> and my non-fictional worlds, mediums collided. Mm. I don't know whether you're similar. Yeah, pretty much. I'm still very much... Uh, we're on the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who this month. So I'm a, I'm, I'm a Whovian. So I'm very much in that. I used to watch Doctor Who. I think David Tennant was probably the last good doctor who oh, we, I... we can we can start fighting about that <laughs> that the, i liked watching anyway um i say you I know he's back don't you? i i i knew that he was kind of back but i don't know enough about it like when you say he's yeah, back he's... is he like the main he's doing yeah he is literally the 14th doctor oh wow okay i mean yeah, he's come back to be the 14th doctor but it's only for three episodes and then it's um, the fifteenth. Some really wacky, weird stuffs going in the who in 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 the who world in the who world. So, oh uh, yeah, I I stopped following after I think it was eleven or twelve doctors. Like wherever the the number was meant to end. Like I watched that sort of season, and then the season after. Oh, Matt Smith. Yeah, that's the one. I could see his face. I couldn't picture uh, picture the name though. Yeah, so Matt Smith was probably the last Doctor that I watched, uh, and then it just got a bit, a bit too. Uh, how do I? Uh, I guess a B movie. <laughs> do, does that make sense? Does that term come across? I know it's a term that we yeah. use in the family. It's like, it it wasn't bad, 
but it wasn't good either. It's kind of like just a, a B movie. It's like, meh, I can watch this, but I'd, ra- I'd rather watch something else. Um, that's how it came across, and that's when I stopped watching it. Uh, sometimes I I dabble back in, but every time I start watching it again, I'm like, eh, yeah, it's okay. Maybe you're like, no, no, it's just as good as ever. Um, no, it's not. Okay. It's not going back and rewatching it. It is not as good as it was. I mean, <clears throat> um, the thirteenth. She's a really good actress, but she was pooed on by really bad writing. <laughs> yeah, and like, that really. Really bad writing. That's exactly where I wanted to take this episode. <laughs> so thank you for the segue that you didn't know about. You're welcome. I planned, planned, obviously. Uh, telepathy, you see. Yeah, we, we, we know, we know. Um, or the relationship in the environment just contra- constrained itself so that it emerged, uh, which I would likely put as the explanation rather than telepathy, but you never know. Uh, the writing of fantasy the writing of stories is something i've always been interested in i've been following stephen king as a writer of stories for probably two years now um it doesn't sound long but when you're actually following uh, a writer two years is a long time (laughs) because you can easily go through someone's back catalog in a couple of months and then become very familiar with the stories that they tell Uh, brandon sanderson is the other writer author that i followed a lot in the last year year and a half because he documents a lot of his writing online it's got online series for those unfamiliar and i've actually written a a substack article about writing like brandon sanderson because that was interesting it was different different in what way it was just interesting to see you write about a different topic. Ah. Well, is that a, a good, different, bad, di- obviously good oh, yeah, and bad no, subjective? No, but... It was interesting. It, it, was, it wasn't what I was expecting. It subverted my expectations, which is nice. I always write about writing. That's kind of cool. I'll read that. So. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to experience NaNoWriMo the way that I am because... As I mentioned in the Discord event yesterday, I've my my writing is scientific. Like that that that's all I've done at school. I hated reading. Didn't like books at all. We had homework at school, and my my mum and I would sit on the sofa downstairs, and she'd say, "Right, you got to read our ten pages today," and I would just read word after word. I didn't pay attention to what I was reading. Didn't listen to the story. It was just word 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 word. word. No punctuation. Just <laughs> reading the words. Um, to make sure that I'd read the 10 pages so I could leave and go do something else, play sport, basically. And as I've got older, I've still not liked reading. Still, like even now, I don't... uh, I don't enjoy scientific reading. I'm going to be careful how I say that because I don't enjoy reading scientific papers, like word after word going through the story. I enjoy following problem solving, curiosity. So I'll find an academic paper, I'll jump down to the description or or the discussion. Uh, Then I'll fly up, have a quick look at the abstract, then make a conclusion. Like, I don't class that to me as reading a story. No. It's reading, don't get me wrong, but I'm not reading a story. I'm reading information that I want. Yeah. And that's how I've just done my reading. (laughs) And writing is kind of similar. 
I've always done my writing with points. I've had this point. I want to build up an argument or make some claims or share some thoughts on some discussion points that's going on. And that's how I've done my writing. That's how academic writing works. That's how scientific publishing works. And that's what we discussed yesterday in the event. But because I'm writing fictional, kind of turns it on his head. Like, yeah, you have your plot outlines. Yeah, you have your storyline. But every word matters. And it's not density. In scientific publishing, you look at a sentence and you you could have like three or four concepts mentioned in there. And you have a lot of pre- information pre-knowledge prior expectations that you need to grasp to some extent to really know what they're talking about (laughs) but you mentioned about the paper that you're reading i imagine if you didn't know what non-linear pedagogy was what ecological dynamics was you'd read a sentence and go what the f*** talking about there were still sentences in there that i was like what what What? okay look at that word okay cool now i understand it right cool look at that word okay cool now i understand it right okay why don't you just say that (laughs) yes (laughs) And, and that to me is the bridge between scientific publishing and fantasy writing storytelling. If if you have a, an, a normal, whatever you class as normal, average, typical, um, neurotypical, uh, <laughs> dare I say it? I, I've published that video. Um, but yeah. yeah. I'm just, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Anyway, as we'll yeah. go off what a massive <laughs> Yeah, so the the typical adult, when they read a scientific paper, is likely going to go, what the fuck? (laughs) Why is it so difficult? Why is it so complicated? Why is it behind a paywall? Video coming out next week about that. Uh, There's just so many complications with the reading process. You you can't just give an adult a scientific paper and say, hey, what do you think? But you can give most adults a book, a fantasy book, and say, what do you think? And within a first first couple of pages, I'll say, I don't like the sound of this person, or this seems really like weird. The the environment, the magic, that the something is odd. Like they get a, a feeling. Yeah. Scientific papers, you don't get a feeling <laughs> at all. That's interesting. I do. <laughs> Okay, when when I say I don't get a feeling, oh, do you mean do you mean like a feeling as in you don't get a feeling of what's being written, or you don't have? A, it's more of a reaction I'm getting more than a feeling. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good poke. When when I refer to feeling, I'm thinking scientific paper. I don't get a feeling of this is a, an exciting story. This is a story I want to follow. This like I'm not following a narrative through my interest in the storyline. It's not, ah, okay. a, it's, it's not a feeling of excitement about the story or the characters or the setting or anything like that. When I'm reading scientific publishing, I don't care about the author. I don't care about the research most of the time. I don't care about the methods most of the time. What I care about is the information and my own personal challenge. Which, yes, obviously there are feelings. Every experience has a feeling <laughs> going all the way back to the start of the, start of the episode. We, yeah, we feel something, but it's not a feeling of Oh, I really want to read the rest of this paper. I, I I don't get I don't get that feeling when I'm reading scientific papers. I could I can read like four sentences in a scientific paper and be like, yep, satisfied. Mm. <laughs> you, you can read the conclusion and be, yep, I'm satisfied. The rest of it is redundant. 
most so interesting most books fantasy books science fiction books adult books you can't just read the last page and say yep satisfied you can with some don't get me wrong but most be like okay i don't know who this person is what where are we why are we in a pub or why are we in a forest or why what what's this magic thing going on like there's so much there i i hadn't got that before now that i'm yeah i am reading fantasy books it's opened up my eyes to a different type of reading and therefore a different type of writing Mm. because i know you dabbled in writing fiction Short stories, yeah. Like short story fiction. Yeah. Yeah, so okay. I, I recognise I'm talking a lot. Um, do, you, do you want to say something? Yeah, it, it kind of seems we're talking about fantasy world and all of that stuff. For me, what I've started doing... So I run, for people who don't know, I run D&D for one, two, three. Regroups now. Um, one online, two in person. And what is so, D&D? Uh, oh yeah, Dungeons and Dragons for people who don't know what that is. Which I I know where you're going with this. I had no idea what D and D stood for up until about seven eight months ago. I knew D and D was a thing, but I didn't. Was it because of Stranger Things? Yes, that's that's yeah, of course. That's like that I knew was. I knew of D and D, but I had no idea what it was. All I like the way I thought about it was. This is some mystical magical game thing. Oh yeah, it's mystical magical. Oh yeah. Yeah. With 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 some nerdy people talking. And that's that's about as far as I got. All I had was an was an image of like nerdy kids around a table talking about something, but I didn't know what, how, where, why, anything. It's pretty cool. But yes, as I was saying, like <clears throat> you were talking about the difference between the scientific part and the and like the storytelling that element it's really interesting because the way that i think of one shots or one shot is a single session where they come up with characters and we just do one thing it's about three to four hours long and at the end the story's over and a one shot is very is is much more almost scientific in the way that it's put together it's you get together three to four encounters you have a little bit of exposition a little bit of story but they're not there for that deep immersion they're there to play a game and so that's where the focus is whereas one thing that i'm doing now with my campaigns which is a long-term D game how long it goes who the heck knows it depends on life and people and everything um <clears throat> is very much weaving things together creating stories as they emerge is very much an ecological approach to writing fiction because i have a very very rough outline of where i want my people to go but it is incredibly like not got much detail to it i have a basic outline of a story and then I put situations in front of my my party to make decisions. And depending on what they decide to do will influence the story. And it's very it's it's been fun um, with this recent group that I've I, I've started working on. I have a little bit more time because it's all online, so I don't have to make maps and 
Um, <laughs> so, and so it allows me to really get their stories. And so something has just happened where one of them has picked up a dragon egg. Right. Which means they're trying to hatch a dragon. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, yes, thank you. So that can now become a big part of their story <clears throat> because of their actions, kind of the world reacts to them, which is how I build it. But it, it I find it really fun to just, you have the area that they lit, that they're staying in and the world around them. And it slowly builds out from the characters out with little snippets of things on the outside. So how much of the world are you creating and building and how much is it by the creators, uh, the the players even? I wouldn't even say I'm building the world too when when I say world, I'm thinking world building. So that's like how the magic works, the settings, the the cultural expectations, the people. So those most of, of that is built into D and D, right? So there is less work there, but I could go absolutely nuts and do all of that stuff. That's I just so, that's what I've get... been enjoying. <laughs> huh? I said that's what I've been enjoying. <laughs> that that is where. I could go and will go in the future because I'm still a relatively new DM and I'm still getting my hang around all of the other pieces. Um, but currently I start from a pre predetermined world, but it has a basic outline and a basic kind of like framework to go from, you know, the culture, what they're like, whether it's this, whether it's that. And then I change what I want based on how I'm interacting with the party, how the party's interacting with the NPCs, how they interact with each other, what they want to do, their backstories, because um, they've all written very wonderful backstories, <laughs> which has given me so much juicy stuff to use. And so it's, it's I have a world, but it's more co-created. Right. Yeah, because when I think about D&D and I think about the worlds that, you're in because you you create some of it you're in some of it uh it's very i i don't play dnd so i can't say much but from my experience of listening to people talk about it um it's very much sensory focused if that makes sense when, when you're explaining explaining what's going on you you can imagine where you are you can imagine mm. what's going on. You can sort of, you can see the the old building or the wooden things or the the creaky chairs, the floorboards, that sort of stuff, um, or the the leaves and whatever. Like it's very sensory driven, rather than so. To bring some eco ecological information in here, it's it's ecological information, but through organismic senses, like the physical senses, yeah, rather than through uh, abstract thinking and cognition which is what scientific publishers focus on that sort of information um it's it's not as abstract it's much more physical world even though it's imagined mm. <laughs> so even though it's this abstract thinking it's still physical yes and to me when i think about that theoretically that's very interesting that you can be in one physical environment but also be in another physical environment at the same time through language, through emotions. 
And it, <clears throat> one of the things that I am in practice to do is to bring more of that, like, because you can have it just, oh, you come up and you see some goblins and you go fight them. And then it's just roll this, do that, roll this, do that, and very mechanical, which is fine. And for those who like that, that's fine. And then you've got the complete opposite end of the stick, which is things like Dimension 20 and Critical Role, where they basically just talk all the time and it's barely a game. <laughs> and I like that, because it, but it's for entertainment. And my my job as as the GM is to be in the middle of that. What's the difference between GM and DM? I assume game master and dungeon um, so master. Game master DM, from my understanding, DM is primarily Dungeons and Dragons. GM is multiple kind of it's it's more universal term. Uh, okay. Yeah, when when I think about the the sensory elements, obviously when you're telling stories in scientific world. In scientific publishing, you you don't need sensory elements. You don't need to explain the lab settings. You don't need to explain how the participants might have, could have felt. Yeah, you might get a bit of that in the discussion, but that that's only going to be in a psychology paper, and that's if they think it's mildly relevant to the the topic they're talking about. Um, everything else is just to the point, dense, blunt information. Whereas fantasy storytelling. You get into everything else. And that's what I've been enjoying. That's what because I, I started writing and it was just a sentence of a thing. And I'm like, I I can I can now like fluff it up, as it were. Like I, I can add things to this. It's it doesn't have to be this this clinical sentence of words. And that's what's fun. That's why the words are building out. Uh, for those interested in my NaNoWriMo journey, I'm doing a daily daily journal which you can find inside of the discord and i will do a summary on youtube eventually um at the end of the month but it's really expanding the way that i write and what it's making me question is okay can we communicate science through more of a sensory story rather than a objective story the immediate answer is yes you can mm. yeah but what does that look like? And I've got some answers, but I want to hear your thoughts before. Maybe I'll rephrase it. What does science communication look like when the data is being told through stories? Well, it, it looks like people sharing their experiences. That, that's what it is. That's literally what I do in, in our... That's what we're doing. Yeah. We're sharing the science through stories. So when we think about science communication through this sort of lens, is it science communication? Because most of the time, when I see people discuss science communication, it's a scientist, academic, PhD, someone with a certificate, or someone that's read lots of articles and papers telling other people something this mm. is what happened these are the ideas etc cetera, etc cetera. that's what i've seen science science communication or psychom ex explained as like you have psychom youtube channels this one talks about the atmosphere this one talks about medical something and this one talks about physics and this one talks about engineering like 
what what about the rest of the channels that are talking video essay channels that are talking about sociology and psychology are they psycho yeah so what isn't psychom? <laughs> I love asking this question. <laughs> what isn't science communication? Because when you think about what science is, science to me is using the scientific method. Well, what is the scientific method? You have a hypothesis, you test said hypothesis, you find an, um, an ambiguous answer, uh, so you test it again, and you test it again, and you keep going until you get closer to what you believe is a truth. The truth, I don't think, is real. Uh, a truth is more likely, especially with the dynamic world we live in. So when you see communication of science, if someone is communicating an answer or a potential answer to one of the tests... That could be science communication. So if you've done a test on yourself, a case study of one, and you communicate that test to someone else, is that science communication? Well, yeah. <clears throat> but that means anyone telling any story where they've done some sort of testing is science communication. Which a lot of people are going to be like, oh, no. <laughs> no. If you're making up a story... Or if you're telling me your experience, that's not going to match mine. That That's not going to be true for everyone. No, it's not going to be true for everyone. So that's you telling your story. That's Neither not you. the science scientific papers either. Like the traditional science com is not going to... It's not going to cover everyone. No, exactly. And And that to me is where this whole conversation gets very, very muddy. Because when you look at what isn't science communication... You need to draw lines. You need to create barriers. And what is science communication? The same thing. You need to draw lines. You need to make barriers. And I have a video coming out next week about this, but Veritasium, Derek Muller, posted a video uh, three days ago now, four days ago now, about science communication. And at the end of it, he said some things that I disagree with. Um, but the, the last point was in the body of scientific knowledge, and I'm like, what's that? <laughs> mm. what, what, what does that mean? If you have one person that has done tests, has an experience, and has results that match that experience with potential multiple causes, that hits the scientific method. It's followed the scientific method to an extent, and they can communicate that. And if they communicate that with other people and other people believe it's true and also have similar experiences, that then becomes somewhat grouped knowledge. Conspiracy theorists. That's the accepted body of knowledge in that group of people, but not in another group of people. So what what is and isn't good science communication? Well, it doesn't exist. You, you can't have a good science communication. You have communication of ideas. Ideas mm. potentially using scientific method. But what, what, what does that really look like? Like, <laughs> how, can, how can you have good, real, true science communication? 
I think it's also kind of going back to D&D, it's a kind of a similar thing. Because if you look at the kind of pillars of D&D, where you have that exploration element, you have that kind of interaction with other people and that role play, not quite right, it's not quite enough of it. But And then you have the combat. People, Some people love the combat. Some people love tactical combat. Some people um, can't really visualize in the same way. Some needs need a map so that they can see what's happening, et cetera, et cetera. And so what makes a good DM or GM as such is how you adapt that to the group that you're in. Because as you learn what the group likes, you'll be able to create more of that. And it's kind of a similar thing of like, yeah, just. So when you think about a DM or a GM in uh, Dungeons & Dragons or whatever game you're playing, do you see any similarities between them and science communicators? Well, yeah, because it's their experience of their character. It's almost kind of a meta experience. <laughs> it's an experience of their character's experience. Yeah. And when I think about telling fantasy stories, I think it's the same thing as science communication. I know mm. it's taken a while to get there, but that's that's what I'm thinking about at the moment. Telling fantasy stories, being a fantasy writer, a sci-fi writer, screenplay writer, whatever sort of writer it is, you're writing. And as we've mentioned before previously, writing is thinking, which means if writing is thinking and telling a story through writing is communication of ideas and communication of ideas is science communication, well, then telling fantasy stories is science communication. So how do you know what's real and what isn't real when it comes to the science being discussed? And that, to me, is where this fictional reality comes in. Because every story that's told through fiction has reality in there. There is real things, real objects being described or that could be described because they are real in the author's, reader's, ways of experiencing that story that world when you think about remembering something from the past that's a fictional reality mm. remembering it is a fictional reality predicting the future i would argue is also a fictional reality mm. so when we're discussing fantasy writing is it fictional reality that they're discussing and is it science that they're discussing I think a lot of people would like to argue against that. Harry Potter isn't mm. science. Well, is it? Is Harry Potter science? Well, yeah, you can make the arguments because it's in a school. There are real elements to the story. There are lots of real elements to the story. Harry being in a school, Harry being a, having a relationships with different friends and teachers, professors, and obviously Voldemort, I don't think anyway, is real. <laughs> um, but there are elements in the story that are real. So how do you pick out the things that are and aren't real? And this is where my interest in the difference between telling a story to a child and telling a story to an adult changes. Mm. 
how familiar are you with the, the publishing industry inside of the fantasy world when it comes to like YA versus yeah so the reason I think I don't like the adult books because I've tried reading before multiple times is they they pad the theory they pad the ideas it's I'm not saying tropes are good or tropes are bad. Tropes are just things that happen throughout storytelling, yeah. right? But the tropes inside of adult storytelling, you almost know what's going to happen as soon as the story starts. Um, and I see it in films and movies as well. Like the, the three-star movies that I see, it's like, oh, it's a good film. It had good explosions, all that sort of stuff. But you sort of know what's going to happen before you, you even happens. start the film. Yeah, you look at it and you go, okay. This person's going to like this person. This person's not going to like that person. This person's going to get over conflict with them. Uh, and this magic thing is going to be relevant at some point somewhere. And it's true to an extent in children's fantasy and sci-fi. But every time I read it, there's always twists and turns and relationships with people that you're like, oh, that's not what I was expecting. Okay, that that's a bit different or that's a bit dark. Hmm. It's more experiential. And I would argue less constrained. Yes. Yeah, because I think they are less constrained. <laughs> yeah. So the way I'm looking at writing, or the way I'm writing at the moment, this fancy novel is through the lens of science communication. Uh, with minimal constraints and trying to tell a story through sensory experiences. And when I look at those three things, that's what makes up a lot of these successful stories. Stephen King, Brandon Sanderson, um, J.K. Rowling, whether you like her or not, she's a good storyteller. Um, she's got to be if she's written Harry Potter, which is, yeah. Um, even Tolkien to an extent with his Lord of the Rings series, like when you when you look at them, they're science communication because they're communicating scientific ideas, scientific in either the social sense, the psychological sense, or potentially the sci-fi fictional sense where technology could be true in some way. Um, but they're also telling it with minimal constraints, which is where the, the fantastical element of the storytelling comes in, oftentimes mm. through children's stories. Mm. Brandon's stories are not through children's, but he tells the stories in a way that has so much detail that you know what's going on, but there are still questions in it where you're like, hmm, what about, or what if, or does that person, and you start asking those questions. That's why I think he he's successful with his writing. Um, and then the other element of all of this is obviously the sensory experiences. How do they experience the writing? And all of them, plus most good authors, make take the, the author on a journey, uh, take the readers on a journey. Yeah. Which scientific publishing doesn't do, I don't think. No. So when it comes to telling stories... Uh, I'm going to pivot this towards you now. How would you go about telling a story to journal? I put in 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 quote speech marks because obviously everyone has a story, 
And whenever anyone's communicating with someone else, they're telling their experience, their story. So how would you, or how could you, tell your story through a fantasy lens, I guess you could say, through a, an, an unconstrained, uh, non-linear pedagogical lens? <laughs> Yeah, that is a good question, Al. Because it's a different spin on journaling. Mm. I think the question, how could I, or how would I, is tripping me up because I would just write freely and create a world... That's interesting. That's fascinating. So I guess as, a, as another reframe, when it comes to journaling, I would argue journaling is more like scientific writing. It, it, yes. Which is why I don't like it. <laughs> I don't yeah. like journaling. But if you were to tell a story, an unconstrained story, in your world, and you can make up what you want. Maybe that would get people journaling. <laughs> Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, obviously, there's another conversation. But it's a way to write your experiences out. And I have... That's really interesting. Because one of the things that, <clears throat> when it comes to writing stories, everyone's like, I need to create your world, create the rules and create this and create that, constrain yourself, otherwise X, Y, Z. But then when you think about it in this way, the rules emerge, 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 which is what's happened in all three of my D&D games. Things are emerging as the players interact with the world. And if I turn that on its head and I have it as a journal, how I interact with the world creates the rules, which is quite an interesting concept. And it's it's, it's almost a, a storytelling way to write a pop. Yeah. Yeah, which didn't think about that, cool. but yeah. Which and of course, cool. because it's fictional, you can do what you want. Yeah. So um, if if something does happen in the real world that you want to talk about, you can be like, well, I didn't like this. Obviously, it happened. So there's the constraints. But let's have a look at the affordances that I have inside of the world that I've built. Well, maybe instead of them being a goblin, because I don't like this person, and now they're a fairy, I've just turned them into a fairy. So you are now thinking of a person as a fairy instead of a goblin. What does that mean? How does that change your perspective on the way you see that person, the way you interact with that person? Um, and yeah, you probably don't want to go up to him and say, hey, <laughs> you're a fairy in my fictional world. <laughs> I don't think that would go down very well. Um, but you can reframe the way you think about uh, either people, objects, experiences, skills through a fictional lens in your own world applied in the real world. Mm. That's, that's how I would articulate in a, I guess a, a, a fantasy storytelling lens, um, how I've applied dynamical systems theory. You want to say something? There was an ad <clears throat> that I, I think it was an ad the other day about dementia, 
and right. it was told through a kind of high fantasy way of like a prince and a, a, a prince and a princess they he saved her they got married and then he was afflicted by a curse which the curse was dementia and it's like it just it just triggered that like oh yeah that's interesting that's exactly what was happening there yeah because when when i mean when i spoke to kids kids could tell you a story like if if they knew what was happening in a book or what happened in a film they could tell you everything they they can tell you all the details all the interactions between the people and and the magic and everything that's going on because the details of the story is what makes the story interesting because it's the experience that they're going through but when you ask a kid to explain what it is that they're learning uh, i don't care what what were you doing at school i don't care i don't know we did this thing that was it Mm. <laughs> there's not much to it and whenever i ask kids um uh, obviously this isn't sport but when i ask kids to explain uh well anything really they didn't pay attention to the details because they didn't see the point in the details it wasn't needed but when you have a, a fantasy world fantasy element of a world maybe that makes the details more interesting mm. so instead of dementia being this abstract term that is hard to grapple with unless you understand the medical uh, considerations and what's going on in the brain even though we don't really know instead of thinking of it as a this medical condition we need to worry about it's a curse or it's a spell or it, it's something and you're like oh, okay now it's now there's something else attached to it that yeah it's fantastical it doesn't really make sense because you can't just whip your wand and be like there you go you have this curse now which quite frankly is exactly how dementia feels because it just but happens exactly it's the same experience it's just with a fantasy world with actual ants with answers as such but yeah exactly and i have no idea whether this is used could be used inside of um therapy but like when when i think about my experiences with therapy it was very um, clinical. It was very clinical. It didn't work. I, I went to multiple therapists. It didn't work. Um, and how I how I got myself out of it by myself <laughs> was through ecological dynamics and understanding the world through a different lens. And maybe the fantasy world is a potential different lens. I'm just spitballing it. Just spitballing. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes sense. In a beautifully weird way. Yeah. So, but yeah, that, that was, that's what I've been thinking about when it comes to the, um, the fictional reality element. Uh, when, when you discuss or when you, when you think about remembering, I'm curious to get your explanations on this through an ecological dynamics lens. If someone was to ask you about remembering, how would you explain <laughs> it? Or memory, how would you explain it? Ironically, this has been something that's been spoken about a lot at home. Oh. Because uh, I'm, I'm noticing a lot coming from my little boy around, oh, I just have a bad memory. I just have a bad this. <laughs> I have a bad that. And I'm like, okay, but what does that mean? Like, do you have a bad memory? And he went, because uh, I said, because for me, I don't think that 
memory in the way that it's explained exists in that way. We don't have a, a store, hmm. a thing to put it in. It's part of the environment that we're in. If you're looking for a charger... Is this you're what looking... you're saying to your son? Yes. Oh, right. He, he's very much... He likes to think about things in that way. I would term it very different for my daughter, but for he's very much, he would listen to these podcasts. Right. That's interesting. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. And so it, uh, one of the things that he really struggles with is finding things because he doesn't look as such. And so he goes and literally just before I was coming on, he was downstairs shouting at everything because he couldn't find a charger. And his default reaction is to get us to look. But I'm like, no, this is an environment that you have partly created. Explore, And all of a sudden he finds it because he starts interacting with the environment around him instead of just standing there spinning around in one go. Well, I don't remember where it is. Okay, that's fine. But you're in this room. Did you have it in this room? Yes. Okay, then look around the room. Well, I don't know where to look. Okay. And then I add a constraint. Start over there. He starts over there, immediately finds it. <laughs> that, that to me is exactly the sorts of things that... I I had obviously I had to learn. I didn't have a I didn't have a parent like yourself just pointing me, <laughs> telling me like they didn't not do it. But they, uh, they, they my my parents don't know what ecological dynamics is. It's just I think it's, it's you don't have the language, do they? Well, so yeah. you have to had to figure it out yourself over time. Yeah. And then the more I think about my own experience, it's exactly the same. And, I had and, a little bit too much help from my family. Uh so there was a lot of reliance I can which relate. i'm avoiding doing so i leave him to explore it a little bit but but constrain the environment for him coach. So, yeah i coach him yeah exactly yeah it's it's actually it's really, what... interesting. It's, it's really interesting as well like flipping this to the business perspective and coming back into notion consulting because someone asked for some help and I'm like, okay, cool. How would I do this from that approach versus what I did before? And it was interesting how it was only small changes I made because I was already kind of doing it, but I didn't have the language or the expertise around that. I was kind of on that very thin plinth, but now I've slowly been like, oh, 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 oh. And as I'm I'm gaining more confidence in it as well, confidence in the expertise, it's like, okay, cool. This is, it's not, it's almost as if it's not, effort. there's no effort. Because it's just like, okay, cool, here. Okay, cool, here. Break okay, that cool, down. Here. Break that mm -hmm. down. What do you mean by minimal effort? I'm attuned to it. Is is the ecological? I I am attuned to the environment where constraints can be added. 
I'm like, oh, this is a place. Oh, this is a place. Oh, this is a place. Oh, I can set this database as small self-contained experiments that the client can interact with so that they gain expertise in using Notion. They gain expertise in writing um, standard operating procedures inside of Notion instead of having them do it everywhere, which is what they were doing previously. And so I have got that constraint constraint on that and it allows them to see different things and interact and go oh I want to do this and I don't like how this is done I want to do it like this I want to do this and I want and I'm like yes cool good this goes into the bigger system everything that's being said goes into the bigger system yep yeah it's 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 I don't I don't know what it is about the the relationship between the the coach and it's not the athletes, obviously, it's not athletes, coach in person, teacher and student, that, that relationship. When when you have a, a coach or a teacher that's good at what it is they do, they tend to use ecological or ecologically valid practices, even though they may not know about it. Yeah. So when I'm looking at the effective teachers, the expert teachers, they use ecological principles. But when they find struggling areas or difficulty in doing certain things, it's when they haven't applied something from the ecological approach in in, in the way that they would advise and they lean towards Cogsyke. What? As it, rem- it reminds me of a, of a course I recently got um, to do with automations and tech and that. And I'm like, oh, this could be beautiful from an ecological approach. Let me watch it. And then there was some like, yes, yes, setting up in the environment. Yes, 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 yes. yes. And then immediately, overload, brain. <laughs> so close. But, but that, that's the thing, mate. It's, it's almost like a, hey, here's the ideal world that we need to pay attention to, ecological dynamics. But because we work like this, we're going to go over here. And I'm like, no, you don't need to go over there. You don't need to constrain yourself to this box in your brain or this limit that you have or this uh, synaptic neural pathway energy it just stuff. It's just... <laughs> it just sucks. That's where I think the science has constrained the thinking to be cogsike because we need the, the scientific method to work, which is fine. But when we remove some of the constraints and be a little bit more dynamic, we we see the fantasy world that is ecological dynamics. <laughs> mm. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I'm enjoying fantasy writing because it's very similar to ecological dynamics. Uh, and that's why I'm enjoying D&D. I recognize that quite quickly. Ah. Well, because it's freeing to... It's not even just the fan. It I am building a world through interactions with the the environment is my other players and they are building interactions and things emerge over time depending on what they are attracted to i hear someone mention this they're attracted to the dragon okay cool fine i'm going to use that because they're interested in that they come to me behind the scenes you go i want this is what i don't want to see okay cool those are the constraints that i work within does that fit within the world is that ecologically? Yeah, I could do that. Yes. And this is how it would work and how I would twist this this way and do this to make it interesting, to make it entertaining, to make it fun. And and so just <clears throat> a lot of my planning is around creating those opportunities for them. 
opportunities for behavior, i.e. affordances. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess uh, a question to you then as we move. Yeah. And also, because I play in games too. Um, and there is a game that I'm playing where I created what a divination wizard who could predict the future, who could influence roles, which is very, very powerful in D&D. And I was like, this is interesting. But it was kind of constrained to a point where there was no point in doing it. And I'm like, see, I wouldn't do that. Like, if I was running the game, if someone creates a divination wizard, they want to be able to do that. So I would use that. However, that puts it in the world, which means I have access to it too. And that, that for me, is, like, one of the big things is, is there's a spell called Silvery Barbs, which is banned in mo on most tables. Because it's too powerful. Silvery barbs basically means you can have a reaction. You can go, nope, you didn't roll that. Nope, you didn't do that. And also give advantage to someone else. Mm. That was also constrained on my side as well. Now, bear in mind, I've not experienced it from a GM side, so that's fine. But like, I and I told my group, I said, look, if you would like so, because someone mentioned it, like, you want silvery barbs? Have silvery barbs. I'll know you have silvery barbs. But if you have silvery barbs, that means my monsters can have it too. Because it's in the world. It's in the environment. Yep. And for me, I find that more rewarding from a player's perspective and a DM's perspective, because then I get to see how they interact and how they use those spells or those abilities. And then I will react in kind or the enemies and the big bad will react in kind because how they play influences how they react. And that to me almost, and this could be my own experience, I don't know, but so far I've seen how they interact with each other and I'm like, okay, cool, I can do this next time. Okay, cool. I see, no, that, that's how they would behave slightly differently this time because they know about the, and as they go through the game, they become more well-known. And as they become more well-known, that means I will have more, that, that that's the point. Yeah. And so it allows me to play with that. Now, hear, hearing you explain it, I'm just, I can picture all of the, the stories because you've got like the plot line and the plot line is obviously developing as you go. You've got your main characters. And if something's added into the world when you're writing a story, obviously you're adding it into a reader. Everyone else needs to know about the thing. <laughs> like you, you can't just go, towards the end of a book say hey this magical thing that you know nothing about has suddenly like solved the game or solved the problem whatever it is no like the, the rest of the people need to know about it to some extent um or it needs to be introduced or foreshadowed or something um which it, which is interesting in the way that you're you're explaining like the spells in that when you introduce something everyone else can see it and it's the same in like real life if, if something is introduced if something is known covid uh <laughs> everyone's got to deal with it and um the the environment then changes like the entire mm -hmm. environment then changes it's not and, just and that, and that is the whole thing because all of the characters change the environment 
how they behave. I, I've something happened to me, which I thought was fantastic skill of from the from the DM of like I asked to change my class because it was the divination wizard. I wasn't really having any fun because I couldn't use all the abilities to help my party. And I'm very much like I am the person who likes to help and change things for other people. Um, shock horror to everybody who knows me. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's kind of what I like doing. But I couldn't do that because the divination wizard was limited to just me. So the abilities could only help me, which is fine because wizards are squishy as anything. They die very quick. So, <laughs> yes, it kind of works. No, no they, they're Gandalf. They don't die. They're, they're everlasting. No, in, in D&D, it's, it's, they're famous for basically if you fall over a pin, you die because um, they have so little health. <laughs> very funny. Um, so I asked to change class which was fine. I changed to a cleric, a healer, basically, primarily. Um, a healer and can get up front and punch things. But that had a world reaction to me doing that. And uh, he used that on me yesterday. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> no, but yes. Yeah, it was like, oh, no. <laughs> it was good. Because he's got some pips on there, which something's going to happen when I fill them up. But I don't know, obviously, but I know something's going to happen. And I had a feeling because we went to see a red wizard, um, which is basically the darkest and evilest of, of wizards. Um, and there was a bunch of skeletons and undead. And I went, oh, great. <laughs> because my, my uh, deity that gave me the powers loathes undead. Ah. Uh. So as I walked in there and there was a bunch of them dead and we're going to get their help from him, that's not good. <laughs> because the reaction I should have done is attack them. Because the deity that gave me my power to become a cleric loathes it. And I'm like, yes, you've made it actually matter. And I also equally do not like you for that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was fun seeing it from the two different perspectives. My character don't have a clue what's happening. But yeah. I did. You're like, like, I like that. <laughs> I'm just like, yes, yes. I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> that, just you explaining that there, that is more memorable because of the experiences, the, the experience that it has, the consequences, the real life consequences. And that's what's missing in so much education. It's like, yeah, just make... Make education a game and not a game is in winning points and losing points. No, a game is in experiences that go through that's that's fun. <laughs> imagine imagine that. Imagine doing like a term of English, for example, playing a DNT, playing in a DND type style. Like English or history or geography or art. The kids actually joined us for a DD game. Oh, yeah. And actually play D&D because we were down a number of people who couldn't make it due to having to reschedule. And so I was just like, well, kids can join. And they loved it. Now they're minutely obsessed. Oops. I got <laughs> home there and went, can we just play like every day? I'm like, no. <laughs> the amount of work that goes into creating sessions. No. Once a week, maybe. But not daily. <laughs> <laughs> that would that would turn into your life yeah Ooh. homeschooling yeah if you were homeschooling you could probably do a D, &D style 
day because a D&D session is just like a coaching session. You prep whatever it is that you want to do and then you do the day. And then you've got things like the cooking and the crafting and then going out and earning money and the, the whole, oh, now that's got my head thinking. Yeah. I, I don't know whether you're going to do homeschooling at some point, but it's certainly interesting considering. And then you've got the lack of social interaction, quote unquote, which is not lacking because you have a D&D session and people are interacting. Oh, that's dangerous thoughts. But it doesn't have to be D&D. It's just inspired by D&D. Yeah. Because you can create your own world. So forget the D&D rules. Go really abstract, really non-linear and say, okay, we're going to play in a world. Maybe like them being children, they can come up with creating parts of the world as you go. Mm. So, okay, we're going to learn this today. You are this person. You have these skills. We're going to develop these skills because you need to go over there and do this thing later on. So maybe at the end of the month, you need to fight something, beat something, do something. Obviously, it's not going to work for every child, <laughs> but it's it's a way of looking at it because that's how I was how I would um, coach the kids at football. A lot of the kids didn't understand why they needed to practice passing. I'm like, well, because at the end of the week we're going to do this challenge or this game or this thing, um, and if you suck, you're not going to be very good at it, <laughs> basically. And people, mm. it's not that they didn't like. It's not they didn't want to. They did, it wasn't the losing or the winning that was the thing. It was they didn't want to look bad. Like they they didn't want to look bad in front of everyone else, which is understandable. But the winning of the game wasn't down to them winning in points because of the way that I had created it. They were either in teams, so they needed to help one another, or it was being measured by progress. And that's what I did a lot inside of football because a lot of a lot of the football things is obviously how many goals you scored, how many times you did this, how fast you did that. I was like, okay, progress. If you, in the first time, so they didn't know this to start with, in the first time they play the game, oh, you got a score of five, make it easy numbers. You got a score of five. Okay. Now in the next month, they're going to develop different skills. And at the end of it, they're going to do it again. But because they tried really hard the first time, they're going to need to try really hard the second time if they're going to beat it. And you need to beat it by more than the last time. So they they looked at themselves and were like, okay, I need to improve myself and be better myself. And I created an environment over time through a story for them to do that. They were creating the narratives themselves. But inside of more abstract topics like philosophy, geography, like anything really at school inside of the national curriculum, you could add that storyline. Not necessarily in a fantastical uh, world in, in fiction or reality, but you can still tell those stories through all the things that we've discussed through like, the episode. I think that's really cool. That is really cool. And that's essentially what I did. <laughs> Just not with wizards and goblins and all the rest of it. I guess as a, as a fantastical question for you, for someone that knows more about the uh, worlds than I do, I know you've got the dark and the light. You've got the natural and the non-natural and all of that with the, the magics and the wizards and stuff. Why is it wizarding world? Why is it not witches' world? Uh, can you have, like, male witches? Like, yeah. I, but that's that's where I get confused. I'm like, I, I don't hear of female wizards, but I hear of male witches. And I don't... <laughs> No, actually, 
And I don't hear about a witch's world or the witching world. It's the witch and something. Whereas it's the wizarding Ooh. world. It's like this big social group of wizards, which is fine. Or you have a witch in some world that's fantastical in some way. It seems like the, the witch is a person, a character, a thing. But the wizarding world is like a setting. Like, why? I don't get it. And uh, I don't get it either. Okay. Well, I, I was wondering if I was missing something. I was like, I, I don't. No, I, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. You could very easily say it's gender bias. Well, yeah. That that's that's the initial... that's the that's probably the answer I would go with. Yeah, because of the I I would imagine because of the start of the fantasy stuff is built off of old old assumptions. But yeah, because I was I was. <laughs> As part of the research, I say loosely, for the book that I'm writing, and I'm not going to spoil it on recording, um, I've been looking into different areas of the storyline I want to share. And I'm trying to look for other stories for inspiration. I can't fucking find any. <laughs> and I'm like, surely there is a book that does this like this in this way. So could you look at your real life? That's what I'm doing. But I'm like... I'm I'm looking for tropes or ways other authors have written about certain things that I want to explore, and I I just can't find them. It might be because I'm not searching in the right place, or I haven't found the right author, the right trope, the right something. But everyone talks about the same shit. <laughs> it's so frustrating. I'd be super intrigued at this completely beside what you've just said. How you're you are you using obsidian for this? Of course you are. For your did, for your world building, you were you were using that's, obsidian. That's I a assume. dumb question. Because <laughs> you might have used a dedicated tool, you know, you might have. Uh so for those that watch YouTube that still in this recording, yesterday I had a bit of a tool dilemma. Um and I actually went back to Word for a little bit. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> because okay. You okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you you can watch the the full recording thingy uh, on in the Discord. But essentially, Supercharged Links came out with an update, which is a plugin in Obsidian, which broke my Obsidian, so I couldn't use Obsidian until the bug fix was done, or I disabled the plugin, which was fine. But um, I had to, I didn't. Yeah, know Supercharged that... Links broke and broke bad. Yeah, but uh, it's fixed now. They fixed it after a couple of hours. Um, but yeah, so. During my first two hours of the writing session, I I couldn't use the features that I would normally use because I didn't realize it was supercharged links at the time. I just disabled all the plugins. So I couldn't use data, data view or metadata menu or quick add because all the all the plugins, I was like, I'm just going to disable them all because I still want to be able to write stuff. Um, so I went to Word because Brandon Sanderson uses Word and he uses the outline view in Word when he's writing. Mm. And I was like, okay, let's try this. So I started using that. Um, and then I went back to Obsidian and essentially I'm using the Quiet Outline plugin in, as a, a replacement for the outline inside of um, Word. Because the reason I don't like outline in Obsidian, the core outline, is it doesn't fold. So if you have tons of outlines, tons of headings, you end up scrolling up and down the outline and you're like, where am I? What am I doing? Whereas Word, it was far easier to navigate that with the levels, but it was clicking buttons. 
So I'm using the quiet outline to do that. Uh, and now my book, instead of being in multiple files using the long form plugging, it's just one file in the quiet outline. You're going to say something? Yeah, no, that's what I thought, one file. Yeah. Um, so now it's just one file where I'm scrolling up and down. So the book's in one file, the outline's in the other file, and the outline has, at the moment, all of the world building. Um, it doesn't have, like, the individual files for the characters, for the magic, for the scenes, for the places, for everything else. Um, they are linked, obviously, in Obsidian. Uh, but I've got the data view queries which feed into the canvas, which gives me everything. So I have a canvas which shows me literally everything that's happening in the world. Um, and yeah. it's just, it's extremely fun. Mm. Uh, but yeah. Show me everything after we stop recording. Ah, you <laughs> But yeah, the, the, the fantastical worlds I'm reading, they're all, they're all the same, which yeah. is understandable. But I'm like, but but why isn't it like this? Why hasn't anyone done this? I, I can't figure out why. But yeah. Um, there's one more thing I wanted to bring up, which is a comment from the U of Tubes. Um, <laughs> and it's it's the, the 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 top the comment on a, a on the Aiden video is about memories because obviously we referred to memories earlier and they said hmm. when when they are talking about past memories and not actually remembering them they said it's a good thing to mention that when they're talking about memories um it's it's better to talk about them rather than just sort of like reflect on them uh, and i wanted to just briefly mention that that's the way that i see all of this, like the fictional reality, the storytelling, the remembering, the uh, experiencing things through stories, through narratives, through other experiences, like sensory experiences, and looking at all of the details, that to me is what remembering is. When you're remembering something, it's you in a fictional reality, a, a hallucination, as it were, of the experiences that you've had, in the past or your recreations of the potential experiences you've had in the past, because it's not accurate um, rather than looking at memories because memories mm. are a captured data point as it were, but the data point is going to be limited with the amount of data you captured. If you put down a couple of words, well, you're still recreating memories from those couple of words, you've got a picture, a video, same sorts of things. So when you think about a journal and Aiden's journal, if it didn't have all the data, he was still using remembering as, as a process to go back there. Do the triggers help? Of course they do. But they're environmental triggers to create the story in the world. Yeah. Could you get there through another medium? Yes, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Any uh, closing thoughts? No. Right. Well, thank you for everyone listening to our... Um, Fantastical reality. <laughs> oh dear. Yep. But. <laughs>